Would you turn in your Bible, please, to Isaiah chapter 60? Get myself all wired up here. Couldn't find my microphone. Isaiah chapter 60. Chuck, thank you for that wonderful song. What a thrill to hear again that tremendous truth. I'm justified. Just as if I had never sinned in God's sight. Thank you so much for that. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for the precious truth of the gospel, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. And because Jesus came and became man's sin substitute at the cross, taking our place, we can say, I'm justified. We thank you, Father, that Jesus is still in the saving business and anyone within the sound of our voice today can come with his sin burden. And though his sins were as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. We've already heard the gospel in song this morning. The veil rent in twain at the cross. And because of that, we're justified. Maybe not in man's sight, but in God's sight. Remember that God has a bigger forgiver than men. And men often have a better memory than God when it comes to sin. But God remembers to forget. And that's the glorious truth of the gospel. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the rising of thy glory. Isaiah 60, 1 and 3. But verse 2 reminds us, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And if you'll notice in your Bible, in verse 2, chapter 60 of Isaiah, the Lord shall arise upon thee. That Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, referring to Yahweh, Jehovah. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. The Lord shall arise upon thee. Jesus came to be the light in a dark world. An artist wanted to paint a picture of cheer and encouragement and joy. And so he painted a dark, dismal day. It had snowed, and the sun didn't come out, and it was just dark and dismal, and the clouds were hanging low against the snow, and it was getting dusk, and there was an old farmhouse over there, and there was no light anywhere, just darkness and the snow on the ground, and you felt the coldness and the chill of it all. 
And then, with just the touch of his paint, he put a little light in the window. And the whole scene was transfigured into a scene of warmth. And that's what Christmas did. That's what God did when, on that night of nights, Jesus came, putting a light in the window of heaven to say to men who are in gloom and darkness, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell upon the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This morning for a little while, we want to examine the doctrines of Christmas. Now we would be here forever if we thought of all the doctrines of Christmas, and so we can only single out three, three precious truths. The idea concerning Christmas, if it is to be Christian at all, must center around the deity of Jesus. Jesus was more than divine. There is a sense in which we all have a spark of the divine in that we were all made by God through creation, but Jesus is more than divine. He is deity, the very Word of God. We studied in our Sunday School lessons this morning, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was light, and the light in him was life, and the light, life was the light of the world. And in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There are many of the most sacred doctrines we hold dear taught in the narratives of the Christmas story. These all presuppose our acceptance and belief in the supernatural. We live in a time of humanism and secularism and naturalism and the so-called age of rationalism and reason. It is interesting to note that the teachings which we glean from the sacred word were, very, were held undeniably true until the time of Voltaire and Thomas Paine, the rationalists who would accept nothing until it was proven. Growing out of their rationalism came modern scholarship and the higher critical approach to the study of the Word of God, so that many secular humanistic theologians have cast doubt upon some of the precious, miraculous truths of the Word of God. It is repeated that one of the men who lived in the day of Voltaire and Thomas Paine predicted that 100 years from their time, the Bible would be completely scrapped. Well, we live more than a hundred years from that day. And today the Bible is translated into almost every language, and the question today is not so much where's the Bible, but where's Thomas Paine? Where's Voltaire? Where are those other men? They have all gone the way of all flesh, but the Bible remains. There are some tremendous truths that we need to re-examine as we come to Christmas this week. And I'm glad we have Christmas built into the calendar, 
Not so much because of all of its beauty, though it is beautiful. Not so much because it's a time of gift giving, though there's really nothing wrong with giving gifts as long as we remember that the supreme gift given to us was Jesus, and our supreme gift must be the gift of our life to Him. But gift-giving is an opportune time to express love, to just say, I love you. Of course, when we make gift-giving a duty, and we say, well, Joel remembered me last year, so I guess I better remember Joel, though I really don't want to, that's terrible. That's despicable. Or when we go through our Christmas card list and we say, well, the Joneses sent me a Christmas card last year, and I guess I better send them a Christmas card this year, or they won't understand. You see, that's not the spirit of Jesus. And so we stretch it a little bit. But there's really nothing wrong with giving gifts or sending cards or writing letters or calling somebody on the telephone and say, this is just a good opportunity to say, I love you, and I just want you to know it. But while we're doing all that, let's remember that the real beauty of Christmas is Jesus. Jesus. Just Jesus. Is He the beauty of Christmas to you? I guess it's hard for children. Sometimes a mother or daddy having it hard will say, well, children, this year we can't have much Christmas. What they really mean is we can't have a whole lot of expensive gifts, but you can always have Christmas. You can have Christmas when you realize that Jesus is Christmas, that Jesus is the one altogether lovely, and He is the author and finisher of our faith, and He is the giver of love. And when we let love come through our lives into the lives of others, that's Christmas. That's the gift of heaven. A recent newspaper article carried the account of a couple who had been married 81 years. He was 99, she was 98. They were in good health. This past year, he had stumbled and fallen down nine stairs backward. He recovered quickly, and the doctor said, don't let that happen again. Miracles don't happen very often. In a bombing raid over Germany during World War II, one plane had an army chaplain who had gone along for the ride. Anti-aircraft fire and enemy fighter planes were all around. The chaplain said on the intercom, it's all right, men. Have no fear. God is here with you. The tail gunner said, he may be up there with you guys up front, but he's not back here. Seconds later, a shell tore through the bottom of the tail turret and passed out the top without exploding. Stunned with silence, the tail gunner came back on the intercom and said, correction, please, God just walked in. Miracles do happen when we recognize God, when we open our hearts to God, when we enjoy Christmas by hearing these songs about the unveiled Christ and justified, and God came down 
in love at Christmas. Last night, during the night sometime, our church got ransacked again. Now, I don't think they took anything. The police called me about 3 o'clock this morning and said, would you come over here? The lights are on, the doors are open. And so I came over, went through the building, looking all through the place with the, with the uh, policeman. And they said, uh, incidentally, we just must see this living Christmas tree we've heard all about. Uh, so they looked at it real closely. We didn't find any burglars or anybody, and apparently nothing was bothered. I don't know what happened. Maybe we'll know sometime. If we miss anything, we'll know that something got taken. Anyway, they saw the big box in the back vestibule, and they said, what in the world is that big box? They moved it out thinking maybe somebody was hiding in it. I got to tell them that it was up here the other night, all wrapped up as a beautiful gift, and that during the Christmas service, at a certain point, when they were singing about love coming down, that that box was opened and the congregation saw God's love gift all wrapped up as a little baby, knocking on the world's door through baby fingers. And tears almost came to the eyes of those big police officers. You see, that's what Christmas is. It's Jesus. Christmas is Jesus, folks. And let's never allow him to be crowded out by the icicles and the holly and the tinsel and all the beauty of Christmas. Let's keep Jesus central, not only on December 25th or December 24th or December 26th, but let's keep him central all through the year because Christmas is Jesus. Jesus. There's something about that name. As we think about the doctrines of Christmas this morning, let's think about the miracle of His coming, the majesty of His coming, and the meaning of His coming. Concerning the miracle of His coming, centuries before He arrived, the prophets began to predict Him. God saw to that. There were announcements hundreds of years before God's love gift got here. I suppose if a, an artist were trying to describe or depict symbolically the announcements that were given concerning the coming of God's love gift, they would put ethereal creatures out here with great big trumpets, sounding the trumpets, saying, He is coming, He is coming. They could easily quote from scriptures like Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from the father's house, and to a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Or they could go back to Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee, the serpent, and between the seed of the woman. One day thou wilt bruise his heel, but another day he shall bruise thy head. Speaking of Jesus. Or they could quote from Numbers that strange prophet Balaam who said, I shall see him but not now. I shall behold him but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. 
shall smite the corners of Moab. Or he could quote from that princely prophet Isaiah, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew says that means God with us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Yes, the prophets predicted his coming. That was all part of the miracle of his coming. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. And he found a young man named Joseph whom he could trust. Joseph was engaged to a beautiful young girl. Her name was Mary. And any of you who met Brother Chaco, the missionary from India a few months ago, or weeks ago, recall how he told us about their date life in India, how the parents arranged the marriages. You remember that? That's the way it was with Joseph and Mary. You see, that arrangement had been made probably by parents. And Mary and Joseph were already engaged, though they had not come together. And there was to be a year of betrothment. And the only way that could be broken would be by divorce, because already she was his and he was hers. And then one day, Joseph found out that Mary was going to have a child. He was greatly alarmed. You can understand why. And he thought about putting her away privately. He didn't want to embarrass her. While he was thinking about this, the angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Fear not, Joseph, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that holy thing which is conceived in her is of God. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You're talking about a miracle. Do you see that it takes faith to be a Christian? The faithless have a hard time with the virgin birth. They say, well, that just doesn't stack up to human reason. That just, I've never heard it like that before. That's not possible. You know that a woman couldn't have a child without a human father. Reason says that. Faith says the record tells us that God was the father of Jesus in a way that's beyond human description. And interestingly enough, God doesn't take great time out of the Scripture to scientifically or biologically try to tell us how that all occurred. He simply says it happened, and He leaves it to us to believe. Now, if you find it hard to believe in the virgin birth, you'll probably find it hard to believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if you can't believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, then you cannot be a Christian. You, you mean, preacher, you're telling me a certain prescribed creed that I have to believe in order to be a Christian? Well, the heart of Christianity is an empty tomb. And if you can't believe that, then you have no God in Christ. You have simply an example, a martyr, who was nothing more than a good man if he did not rise from the dead. And the same scriptures that tell us that he arose from the dead tell us that he was born of a virgin. 
And so by faith, the reverent, humble man or woman or child or teenager comes and says, I lay delicate hands of faith on that truth and I bring it to myself and accept it. The miracle that God came down in a virgin's womb, knocking on the world's door through baby fingers to say, world, world, God loves you. God loves you. That's what happened at Christmas. It was Jesus. Jesus is what happened at Christmas. We think not only of the miracle, we think of the majesty of His coming. In Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Angels had a lot to do with the birth of Jesus. Angels announced the birth of John the Baptist. Angels announced the coming of Jesus. Angels talked to Joseph. Angels sang to the shepherds. Angels oversaw the flight to Egypt. Angels ministered to Jesus after his temptation. Angels came in Gethsemane. Angels rolled away the tomb. You see, the whole life of Jesus was centered around the supernatural. God intervened in human history to say, God loves you, world, and he wants you to know it. Jesus said a lot about angels. He said they will be the reapers that gather the elect. The angels carried the beggar to Abraham's bosom. A little child is guarded by a guardian angel, according to Matthew 18.10. Michael is the name of the archangel. Gabriel is the name of the angelic prince sent from heaven with direct arrangements for the arrival of the Son of God. Now, concerning the majesty of his coming, Jesus was announced to Herod, but Herod didn't have any room for him. Herod didn't want him. He said to the wise men, where is he? You go find where he's born and let me know so I can come and worship him. Being translated means kill him. But the angels said to some humble shepherds out there in the fields, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. And what did the shepherds do? They got up and said, let's go quickly and see this thing that has come to pass. Always there's been a spirit of humility concerning those who receive Jesus. The miracle of His coming the majesty of His coming, and think for a moment of the meaning of His coming. What does it all mean? The Scripture says that Mary pondered these things, things in her heart. The shepherd said, we don't understand what's been said to us. Let's go even to Bethlehem and see the meaning of this thing. The wise men saw the star and they said, well, we, 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 we know that something has occurred. There's been born the king of the Jews. Let's go. Let's go see about it. The meaning 
Well, listen, you're not going to find the meaning of Christmas at Casternauts, and I'm not against Casternauts. You're not going to find the meaning of Christmas at the Bowling Green Mall. You're not going to find the meaning of Christmas out here in the shopping world, though I'm not at war with the shopping world. I think uh, they help us understand the importance of giving. But the only place you'll find the meaning of Christmas is in the person of Jesus. And the only way you can find the person of Jesus is to receive him into your heart. There's a stranger at the door, let him in. He has been there oft before, let him in. Let him in ere he is gone, let him in the Holy One. He will speak your sins forgiven, let the stranger in. The meaning of Christmas? One of those men in the temple said to Mary, there's going to be a sword in your heart. There'll be a sword in your heart. You know what the meaning of that sword was? Jesus was to die for the sins of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And when Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through hands and feet and made a calvary. They crowned him with a crown of thorns. Red were his wounds and deep. For those were crude and cruel days and human flesh was cheap. Jesus, meek Son of God, came to bear the sins of a world. And while he was dying on that cross and the blood of Jesus was streaming down the foot of the cross, Jesus looked into God the Father. And he said, Father, forgive them for their indifference. Forgive them for their impurity. Forgive them for their indignity. Forgive them for their irreverence. Forgive them, Father, for their sins. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And God the Father and God the Son made an eternal transaction that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. Just believe. Just believe. Well, what does it mean to believe? It means to put your whole weight on, just your whole trust on. That's what it means. You're sitting on that pew this morning. You believe in that pew. You're not scared it's going to fall with you. You just believe in it. That's what salvation is. Salvation is coming to Jesus and saying, here I am, Lord. Sink or swim, live or die, heaven or hell. I'm trusting Jesus. And when you do that, Jesus comes into your heart. And Christmas is fulfilled. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee that love came down at Christmas, that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We pray that today somebody will turn away from the wages of sin, the awful hell that's out beyond the sinner's life, the sinner's grave, and will turn to Christ, receiving him as Savior. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Now let me request that nobody leave.
Folks, if my clock is right, it's three minutes till 12, and just stop right where you are, and nobody walk out the door, nobody leave. I don't mean to be rude, but you know, you just don't have to leave. You just wait until the invitation is over. This is God's time in your life. And I want to ask, if you're without Jesus Christ, you come to Him, trusting Him as Savior and Lord, just let Him come into your heart. Open your heart to him now. Will you do it? While we begin to sing, who'll step out for the king?